Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. That's way more better. Let's wake up. Let's get after it, shall we? Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 17 for our reading today. Genesis chapter 17. And as I read this passage, uh, two words I want you to take notice of. The word covenant is uh, about 10 times shows up in this, pa- this chapter. And of course, covenant in Hebrew is the word berit, which actually means cutting, where God has made a, a cutting with mankind. He did that way back in Genesis 15, just a few weeks ago. We studied that. Then the other word to look out for is offspring. In the Hebrew, zarah, which actually means seed or seed line. So stay tuned to those two words as we read this chapter, as we continue our survey through the book of Genesis in chapter 17. Verse 1 reads this way. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old Among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. 
Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, as many of you know, uh, the past week, the week before this last one, uh, many of us were out in Wyoming. We actually joined uh, another church, uh, the Lawton Evangelical Church, uh, way out west from us here. And we had traveled all the way out to Wyoming with our youth group. We had an incredible time uh, hearing incredible teaching from uh, Pastor Don Landis, who's the former chairman of the board for Answers in G Genesis, who oversees the Creation Museum and the, the Ark Encounter. And just fabulous teaching, went whitewater rafting, went hiking up in the mountains. Uh, we went to a rodeo. It was fantastic. And, of course, on our way out, we had to stop at Wall Drug. Anybody ever been to Wall Drug? They actually, I actually inquired, they actually do have a drugstore there. I was surprised because it's just a tourist trap, right? And we actually had breakfast at Wall Drug in the middle of South Dakota there. And uh, at breakfast, you know, boy, got, got the eggs going, got the bacon, got the pancakes with the butter and the syrup, you know, blah, 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 blah. oh, this is great, uh, good breakfast. But I got a question for you. So in a bacon and egg breakfast, what's the difference between the chicken and the pig? The chicken is merely involved, but the pig is totally committed, right? Over the years, I've seen all kinds of involvement level and commitment levels with people within the various churches where I've served. And it just seems that there are more people who are willing to be involved as opposed to those who are totally committed to the cause of Christ. What does total commitment look like? What should it look like? Ultimately, it should look like Jesus, who gave his life so others could live. I asked this morning is a series of several questions coming your way. Are you all in this morning? Are you totally committed to the one who saves? Or do you just have your feet in the water with what you're seeking to accomplish as a church? Let's be honest. Most of us don't like to commit ourselves to anything. But God has committed himself to us through Christ. And as we'll see today, Jesus demonstrated his commitment to us through laying down his life for us so that we may live. And he is now calling us into a holy commitment to him where he is purposing to adopt us, to bless us, to multiply us, and to make us a new creation. The question is, in light of his commitment to us, how should we demonstrate our commitment to him? Well, we've gone back to the beginning in our message series, the book of Genesis, from the beginning, God has promised that 
he would send a redeemer, a promised seed from a woman who would come and destroy evil once and for all, the evil that Adam and Eve brought upon all of us. In Genesis 3.15, God said to Adam and Eve, after they sinned against God in the garden, that a child would come from the woman who would crush Satan's head. This promised seed would be bruised by the evil one. But this coming Savior, this Redeemer, this Messiah, would have complete victory for all of humanity over all evil. From that point on, the opposer, that is Satan, unleashed a campaign of deception, chaos, and evil in his determination to destroy the coming seed. And after several ill-fated attacks against this promised child, this promised redeemer. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, the seed line came to Abram. And in Genesis 12, when Abram was 75 years old, God promised him that the line of the Messiah would go through his seed from his very own body. And now as the plot thickens, another 13 years has passed, and still no child for Abram and Sarai. And of course, this is in all likelihood God's response to Abram and Sarai for their rebellion against God through taking things into their own hands with Sarai's handmade Hagar resulting in the birth of Ishmael that we saw three weeks ago. It's interesting to me that when we are not willing to wait on God's provision, his ultimate deliverance for us is often delayed. Now as the plot thickens even further, we wonder what will happen next. Now God intervenes and says, now, here comes the child. The child is going to come now in this time. Abram is asked to physically participate in God's covenant through the act of circumcision as a sign of Abram and Sarai's commitment to God, which begs the question, how committed to God are we this morning? How committed are you? Have you made it clear to God and others where you stand this morning? How committed are you to the life and ministry that God has called you to? Well, I have five principles I want to share with you from this passage, but before we start, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we approach your word in this moment, we ask that you would be our guide and our teacher. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. But we ask that you would speak to us through your word. That you'd open your word to us. Open our hearts and our minds to receive it by your sheer grace. Lord, we need to hear from you more than anything else. Lord, help us to check our allegiances this morning with what we're hearing, that we might find ourselves totally committed to you. So Lord, thank you for this brief moment. Help us not to miss anything you might have for us. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth from this passage. God has called us to walk before him in holiness. God has called us to walk before him in holiness. Notice what it says in verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old. I just want to say, it's never too late to start walking with God. It's never too late. Can you throw up the picture for me, YY, if you would? You're going, who are these people? Well, that's Kathy, my wife's grandparents. They came to Christ in their 70s. <laughs> what an incredible testimony. And it seemed like, in light of the fact that they came to Christ so late, they, they tried to make up for lost time. They got engaged in a church down in Florida. They were engaged in a church up here 
in uh, western Michigan, and they just gave themselves to pursuing and seeking Christ. You guys, it's never too late. They're in their 70s when they came to Christ. I don't know what your status is. Maybe you think, well, it's too late. No, it's never too late to make things right. Abram was 99 years old. First of all here, God has called us to walk before him in holiness through walking in his revelation. That's what Abram was doing. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him. There's two ways that we see here that God speaks to our hearts throughout all of Scripture. First of all, God speaks to us through his word, doesn't he? 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Peter adds to this. Peter, one of the dear friends of Jesus, he writes in 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. As we encounter God's Word, we're able to hear what God has to say. And that's exactly what we're doing this morning. We're reading His Word. It's my hope. It's my prayer. You're hearing what He has to say to you today. That's one of the ways that he speaks to us. But Scripture also talks about the idea that God speaks to us by way of his revelation as we walk in it. God speaks to us through his Spirit. Paul adds in Romans 8, 16, it's the Spirit himself that testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so there's this inner testimony that we have from God himself by way of his Spirit God's Spirit, by the way, will always be consistent with God's Word. Always, always, always. So if someone comes up to me and says, yeah, well, God told me to rob a bank, probably not. Probably not. It'll be consistent with His Word. God has called us to walk before Him in holiness through walking in His revelation. Secondly here, through walking in His power. Notice what God says as verse 1 goes on, he says of himself, I am, that's an awesome statement right there, I am, that's who he is, he is the great I am. But then he adds, I am God Almighty. Literally in the Hebrew, I am El, that's God, Shaddai, Almighty, all-powerful, most powerful. He is our all-sufficient one. He is our provision in life. That's who our God is. He's called us to walk before him in holiness through walking in his power. Some of us are trying to walk through life through our own strength, hoping, well, maybe, you know, hopefully God adjusts some things along the way. No, we need to be completely dependent on him for all the power and strength that we have as we live our lives. The psalmist writes in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? Notice the dependence that David has here as he writes this. I, I have nobody else but you. You're it. And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Is that how you see your God today? Is he the strength of your life? Through walking in his power. Thirdly here, through walking in his presence. God has called us to walk before him in holiness through walking in his presence. Notice what God says. I am God Almighty. Walk before me, he says. Walk before me. In the Hebrew, literally it's saying, walk before my face. Coram Dio, little Latin phrase. That means to live in such a way as you're living before the face of God. In our culture, what's the Latin phrase? What's our culture scream at us? The little Latin phrase, you've heard it. 
Carpe diem, seize the day. Because that's all there is, the here and the now. God says, no, it's not about the here and the now. It's about the there and the then. Coram Dio, living before the face of God. God has called us to walk before him in holiness. Through walking in his presence, God says, walk before me. Walk before my face. Fourthly here, he calls us to walk with him in holiness through walking in his righteousness. He says to Abram, would you be blameless? Be blameless. And be blameless. Throughout scripture we see this phrase, like Leviticus 11.45, you shall therefore be what? Be holy, for I am holy. And you go, well, I can't do that. This is why we need Jesus. Because now with Christ in us, we have all the green lights in the world to finally walk rightly with him in holiness and righteousness. No one detours us from that but ourselves. As we submit to our own desires, our own longings, as opposed to seeking and longing after the things of God through walking in his righteousness. Beloved, God has called us to walk before him in holiness, through walking in his revelation, through walking in his power, walking in his presence, and walking in his righteousness. But secondly here, God has committed himself to us. Let's be very certain about this. It's not as if God hasn't made things clear about where he stands with us. God committed himself by establishing his covenant, that is, his cutting with us, so that we would be multiplied greatly. He's gone on record with us. We saw it in Genesis 15. Remember, he had Abram cut the animals in pieces, and then God passed between the pieces, basically saying, if I don't follow through with my commitment, with what I promised here, Abram, may I be cut asunder as these animals. That's what God committed. He made a cutting. He cut a deal with all of humanity through Abram. God has committed himself to us. And how did he do that? Well, first of all here, by establishing his covenant with us. That's what it says in verse 2. Walk before me, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. That's all God wants to do. He just wants to have an agreement between the two of us. Originally, the covenant was with Moses. as God passed between the pieces, as we just saw. And now, for us, we have a covenant through Christ as Jesus was torn asunder on the cross for us in his commitment to us. We celebrate this the first Sunday of every month. We celebrate communion. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the what? It's the new covenant. It's the new cutting through Christ in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. God has committed himself to us in no uncertain terms by establishing his covenant with us, but not only that, through multiplying us. He's multiplied us, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. That's all God wants to do. I want to be your God, I want you to be my people, and I want you to be fruitful and multiply, that I may multiply you greatly. Well, obviously, we have physical multiplication, right? With more children, more seed, if you will, more offspring, as the text says. 
Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one youth, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the, gar- in the gate. And the Lord blesses some with children, arrows to be shot out, offspring, descendants. We are multiplied through our children as they walk with Christ. <clears throat> but not, not only that, we are able to multiply others in our lives spiritually, not just physically, but spiritually through how we bring others to Christ. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So it doesn't have to be necessarily a physical descendant. It, It could be a spiritual descendant through faith believing in the promised seed, the Redeemer, that is Jesus Christ. Romans 9, 8 says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring, counted literally as the seed, part of the seed line. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're in the seed line of the Messiah. How? Through faith, Scripture says. God has committed himself to us in no uncertain terms. But thirdly here, don't miss this. We need to respond to God's call on our lives. Have you responded? Maybe you say, well, yeah, I prayed a prayer once. I raised my hand once. I went forward. Have you responded to him? Notice Abram's response in verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face. (laughs) Now, the, the, the word face... In Hebrew is the word panim, which literally means nose. And so just a moment ago, God said, stand before my face, right? Walk before me, walk before my face. And now we got Abram on his face, right, on his nose. And that's where we all need to be. Notice he comes before God as God calls on our lives as we respond. He comes with heartfelt reverence. He has a reverential awe. He's on his face. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Scripture says. He has a reverential awe. He's not fearing the lightning bolt or the lightning strike. He's just amazed that I'm talking to the creator of the universe. But he comes with not only heartfelt reverence, but with humble adoration. He falls on his face in worship. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. To, to come to God with humble adoration, <clears throat> this idea of humility, that means I have to come dependent. I have to come in my weakness. I have to come with my longing, with my neediness. And all of us have that. To be humble, to be teachable. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, El Shaddai, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Are you teachable? Will you humbly submit to his authority in your life? But thirdly here, notice as Abram falls on his face, he comes with God-honoring worship. Throughout the Bible, we see other texts, other people, other examples, guys like Daniel and John, who both found themselves on their face before God. You know, we sing these songs sometimes, you know, about being in the presence of God and There's that one song, I want to see your face. And I'm like, no, you don't. (laughs) Because you're going to be on your face 
that's what, what happens when you experience who he is for all he is. With God-honoring worship, John 4.23, Jesus says, but the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's seeking you. Will you worship him in spirit and truth? Are you on your face before God this morning? That begins the response. But fourthly here, as we commit ourselves to God, he promises to bless us. That's what the text indicates with great clarity. As we commit ourselves to him, he promises to bless us in amazing ways. How so? What will he bring about? Notice what he says of himself. He will keep his promises. Notice what it says at the very end of verse 3. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. My cutting, my agreement, Abram, is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. He is not a man that he should lie. He speaks that which is true always. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. When you take all of God's word, you add it up, it equals truth. At every page, every phrase, every sentence, every word, the sum of your word is truth. Count on it. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever, which, by the way, is a super long time. He will keep his promises. That's how he's committed himself to us. That's how he's promised to us. Secondly, he will make us a new creation. Notice what he says in verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram's name was changed from great father, Abram, to the father of a great multitude, Abraham. Similarly, in verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. In verses 15 and 16, Sarai's name changed literally to princess, in that she became the mother of a royal priesthood. She is literally the great descendant mother of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Their names and their character are in the process of being changed and all of us in this room also need to be changed. Jesus himself said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you put your faith and trust in him? Have you been born again to such a degree that now you're a new creation? As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the whole point of putting your faith and trust in Christ is that now you're a new person. I used to be this, but now I'm that. I used to be lost, now I'm found. I used to be trapped in chains to rebellion and sin, and now I'm free to righteousness. Finally, by his grace. Years ago, an opportunity to travel with Craig Darling, who spoke last Sunday to India to preach the gospel. And we had hundreds of people who came forward to be baptized. This incredible event. Uh, people were coming forward. People were praying to receive Christ. And that Saturday, after this big crusade, I had a chance to speak to over 25,000 people at one time. I was there. I still can't believe it happened. Matter of fact, the translator who was working with me, his name was Suresh, 
And Suresh had actually translated for, you know, the likes of Billy Graham. I'm like, I'm not worthy of this guy. And the gospel went forward, and that Saturday we're baptizing people in the Krishna River in India. There's a slide for that. Go ahead and pull that up. There I am. I actually had hair then. Isn't that weird? But as we were getting ready to baptize these people, the Indian pastor would call out uh, and actually address uh, us as uh, the visiting pastors. They say, um, this person needs a new name. I'm like, what? Why? Because a lot of the names in India are names for Hindu gods, of which there are hundreds of thousands of them. And so a person would need a new name. And I'm like, well, I'm not worthy to name anybody. And that would then be their Christian name. You've heard that phrase before, their Christian name. That's where that comes from. Because the, the old has passed away and everything's become new. My name's not going to be some Hindu god anymore. They got a new name, and so I, I named some people. Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not worthy of such things. Unbelievable. A new creation from that moment as they demonstrate faith in Christ as they go under the water, demonstrating their commitment to him. There was one woman who had come out of Hinduism, and she then found herself in Islam and then finally she heard the gospel and she finally came to Christ. And I was privileged with naming her. I named her Grace, which seemed to be appropriate for her need. The Lord is so good to us as he keeps his promises. As we commit ourselves to God, he promises to bless us. He will keep his promises. He will make us a new creation. Thirdly here, he will make us fruitful. That's what God says to Abram. Now, Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I'll make you into nations. This just goes along with what God has been fulfilling from the very beginning in Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 9.7, after the great flood. As for you, Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Fruitful. What should this look like? We've talked about physical, right? Physical children who are also faithful, following Christ, but who are you bringing to Christ through how you live your life in your commitment? But fourthly here, not only will he make you fruitful, he will adopt us into his royal family, which is amazing. Notice what it says, and kings shall come forth from you. Amazing. We're taught in Revelations 1, 5 through 6 that those who are in Christ, it says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. See, when we put our faith and trust in him, we are now adopted into his family and we are now a royal priesthood, a part of God's family, a part of his kingdom. Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the way it is. He adopts us into his royal family. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Are you his child? Have you given your life to him? Do you belong to his family, his royal kingdom? Paul writes in Romans 8.15, it won't be on the screen, but listen close. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We don't have to fear about these things. We can trust him with all that we are. But you've received 
the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's to cry out, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's that inner witness I just spoke of a little bit ago. And if children, then heirs. If you belong to the king, then you're heirs of the promise. You know, my mom and dad are here. There they are. They're wonderful people. And they have an estate. And one day when they leave, not soon, uh, we're going to get their estate. As wonderful and fantastic as that is. But imagine now being a joint heir with Christ in God's estate. What does he happen to own? All of it. Oh, okay. That's a big deal. That's huge. He adopts us into his royal family. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's not easy following Christ. But as we suffer with him, he grows us and matures us. But not only that, we have the promise from God that he will be our God. In verse 7 it says, and I will establish my covenant. There it is. I'm going to establish my cutting between me and you and your offspring. There's that seed line. After you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. It's an everlasting agreement to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This is all God has ever wanted. I will be your God and you get to be my people. This is not complicated. And I'll give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. And by the way, this is a part of the threefold promise from Genesis 12. God has promised an ongoing relationship, a blessing. He's promised descendants. He's promised a place. He's promised land. From Genesis to Revelation, all he has ever wanted is to be our God and for us to be his people, blessing us with the promises of descendants and a place. Lastly, this morning, with all that God is doing, all that God has promised, we need to respond. We need to respond to God's blessings in our lives. First of all, we need to do this as we lead our households, and that's exactly what Abram now Abraham is going to do. Verse 9. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. In other words, you're going to keep my cutting, you and your offspring, you and your seed, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant. This is my cutting. This is my agreement, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you, and he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant, so shall my cutting, my agreement be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. I went through a cutting for you. It's your turn to do a cutting for me. And any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised, verse 14, in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, can you imagine Abram hearing this the first time? <laughs> okay, let's see if I get this right. Noah gets a rainbow where you cut the sky, and now, you know, I get circumcision? Right. Couldn't I just get a nice, really nice-sized bagel or something? You know, that'd be better. No, this is the agreement. Because the agreement has to do precisely with 
this feed line. And the object of the cutting has to do precisely with God, with what God is bringing about through the seed line, i.e., ultimately, Christ. And we, we, we have baptism to this day. We have communion to this day. These things that we do as outward signs of an inner reality of what's going on. Notice how Abraham is leading his household here. Both he who is born in your house, he leads his household. I was talking with a couple young men this morning about the two sons of Eli who were not disciplined, were not dealt with properly. And they lost any opportunity to have access to any atonement at all. What a horrible situation. But here in this context, we have an opportunity. Husbands, if you're a father in this room, you need to lead. And by the way, if you're not going to lead, don't expect anybody to follow. You need to lead. That means you need to bend your knee to the cross. You need to bend your knee to him, seeking his face, seeking righteousness, holiness, and then watch God use you in an incredible way in the life of your wife and your kids. We need to respond to God's blessing in our lives as we lead our households. But secondly here, we need to respond to God's blessing in our lives as we take God seriously. Here we see for a moment, Abraham does not take him seriously. Verse 17, he says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, be a child? Har, 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 hearty, har, har. I don't think so. Are you taking God seriously? Are you taking him at his word? Years ago, I'm so thankful. Years ago, I ran into some passages of the scripture, and I decided to take them seriously, and I took God to the bank on them, and I've never regretted it. In terms of what I've seen God do, not only in my own life, but in my family's life, by his sheer grace. Not because I'm the smartest guy in the room. No, it has just the opposite of that. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer by any means. But he's faithful with what he said, and I've just trusted him with it. Oh, that we'd all do the same. That we take him seriously. But thirdly here, we need to respond to God's blessing in our lives as we stick with God's plan. Again, once again, Abraham tries to slide out of it again. Did you see it? Verse 18, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Can't we just do that other thing, that, I, that other plan? Wouldn't that be okay? God says, no. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what he says. He says, no. God said, did you read it? No. <laughs> Maybe it's got to be his way or the highway. Right, why? Because he's God. Oh, okay. Oh, that we just agree with him to begin with. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall, be, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which, by the way, <laughs> Stands for laughter because you were mocking him a moment ago. So we'll just we're just gonna put that in the record. Your little boy laugh, laughing boy right there. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Are you hearing that? I'm gonna establish my cutting with him as an everlasting olam berit, uh, an everlasting covenant for his 
Terah for his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Yeah, behold, I bless him and will make him fruitful, multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and will make him, and I will make him a, into a great nation. But I will establish my cutting, my covenant, my berith with Yitzhak, with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. You know, we always think there's another way. We always think, well, I, I can do this better than you, God. No, you can't. No, we can't. We need to get on board with what he's doing, with what he's called us to do, that we be submitted to it, that we be obedient to it. So we try to get out of our commitments, don't we? Surely someone else can stand in for me, or we can put God off one more time. Beloved, understand when we reject God's plan and seek our own will, we end up walking in sin and rebellion. Don't miss that. When you want to go do your own thing, your own way, you are in abject rebellion against him. Lastly here, by way of response, we need to respond to God's blessing in our lives as we walk with God in obedience. Will we trust him? Will we just obey we just submit ourselves to him properly. Notice after the discussion, finally, Abraham finally gets it. Verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So when did they do this? They waited a couple months, a couple years. That very day. If you're hearing what God is calling you to do, you're doing your own devotions, you're reading what God would have you do, are you about it? Well, yeah, one of these days. No, that very day, he's about it. Today is the day of salvation, Scripture says. Today is the day of our commitment. And I ask you, are you totally committed to him? Maybe you're wondering, well, how should I commit myself to him today? What can I do? Paul reminds us in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, watch this, in Christ, with Jesus in the mix, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, he says, but only faith working through love. Have you put your faith and trust in him who's made a commitment to you and dying for you on the cross? The psalmist as in 51.17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Come to him in your brokenness, with your inability, with your weakness, with your neediness. Come before him. Bend your knee. Trust him. Give your life to him. A broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Paul reminds us in Romans 2.29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. We're talking about having a circumcised heart now. 
by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. We can go through the motions of being, you know, full of religiosity, but all God has ever wanted is that he would be our God and that we would be his people and that he would use us to multiply himself in the lives of others with those who are fully, totally committed to him. So I ask you, are you like the chicken today or are you like the pig? Let God circumcise your heart today as you commit yourself to him afresh and anew. There's all kinds of things that you can demonstrate your commitment around here, all kinds of ministries to be involved with, to participate in. Don't shrink back. Dive into the pool. Get your feet wet and your whole self immersed in what he has for you. Not only for ministry, but for your whole life with what he has for you. Would you please stand as we close our service? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have, in no uncertain terms, committed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you demonstrated that years ago to us, 2,000 years ago, as you laid down your life for us that we might live. And now, Lord, you're calling us into a holy commitment to you where we know that you're purposing to adopt us, to multiply us, to bless us, to make us a new creation. Lord, in light of all that you have done and are doing, even as we speak, may we demonstrate our commitment to you afresh and anew today in our hearts, having circumcised hearts. For that to happen, Lord, we need hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone hard to cut stone. Lord, may you fillet our hearts wide open that you may have your way in us as we submit ourselves to you, as we commit ourselves to you afresh and anew. Lord, we belong to you. We are yours. We praise you and thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your commitment to us as you lay down your life for us. May we and now in turn pick up our cross and follow you. For we know that can only happen to the extent that we first deny ourselves. We put ourselves last, put you first. Trusting you with what you can do in us for us, through us, for your incredible purposes. Lord, thank you. Move us, shape us, mold us, cleanse us, wash us clean that we might be holy. Through the blood of Christ, that we might walk with you 
being totally committed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your truth this morning. Burn these things into our hearts and lives that we might not just hear of them, but that we might walk in them. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.